Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. When it comes to successful comedy shows from the UK, the list is an endless one. Given the short length of each series, they tend to remain more memorable that way. Through the years, there have been several that have dealt with the subject of war, and especially that of World War II. Shows such as Dad's Army and It Ain't Half Hot Mum, comedies that didn't poke fun at the war itself, but more the situations that arose around it. One of the most popular and also the most inventive came from the respected and successful creators of those two shows, Jeremy Lloyd and David Croft, and was set in France during the 1940s. A show that interwove plot lines and characters together like my mother knits jumpers. And today, I'll be reliving and regaling that show. Hello, hello. On Thoughts from the Middle Cavern. come up with the concept of this show? By adapting the idea of war-torn France and incorporating the Germans and the English, the French resistance and the poor downtrodden citizens, and create a comedy that does not glorify the war nor offend any of the different groups that are referenced throughout. That's a pretty tough scenario and not something that inexperienced writers could have tackled. However, the pairing of Jeremy Lloyd and David Croft didn't come into this without any experience in, the not, in not only creating a comedy, but also one that showed no fear in abusing stereotypes in the name of that comedy. Their previous show together, Are You Being Served, ran for 13 years and managed to use every sexual innuendo and stereotype possible in that series set in a department store. That in itself was spectacular, But coming into this new show, they managed to weave together so many ongoing plots, it could have been confusing to the viewers. How do you offset that? Well, you have your main character break the fourth wall at the start of every episode in order to give you a recap. In me, you see a man who has problems. At that table over there are two German officers dressed as onion sellers because I gave their uniforms to some British airmen to help them to escape. (laughs) However, the British airmen burned the uniforms. Don't ask me why. And they are now hiding upstairs in the wardrobe of my wife's mother, who is in bed in the attic. (laughs) Playing the piano is Monsieur Leclerc, jailbird and forger, who... In his youth, who was the lover, God help him, of my wife's mother, (laughs) and who, for all I know, might well be my wife's father. (laughs) 
Flick, the Gestapo officer, is also dressed as an onion seller in order to trace the missing painting by Van Klomp of the fallen Madonna with the big boobies, <laughs> which I just happen to have upon my person. But even worse than all this, my wife Edith, who you will have noticed cannot carry a tune in a bucket, is about to sing another chorus. The German lieutenant at that table there fancies me. And these two rings on my fingers contain two suicide pills. But I could go on forever. The show's premise was not to make fun of the war, but to spoof war-based film and TV dramas. And it does this to great effect. As much as you can appreciate the humour of the program from the outset, no matter what point you came in or what episode you first watch, it is not until you can wrap your head around the intertwining storylines that are occurring that you can truly appreciate how clever this show is. So, here's a brief rundown on what you can expect from Aloha Low. René Artois runs a small cafe in Nouvion in France, along with his wife Edith, with France under German occupation. René has a busy time in his cafe, and he's basically always in the middle of dealing with four problems. He is a reluctant member of the town's local resistance group, and is often caught up with the sabotage plans of the resistance's leader, Michel Dubois, and being forced to help carry them out. This also involves trying to conceal two British airmen who have been shot down, and trying to help them get back to England. He is also involved in a complicated plot to steal and conceal a valuable artwork, which at various times is in the possession of the local German forces, led by Colonel von Strom and Captain Gehring, or their commander, General von Klinkerhofen, or Herr Flick of the Gestapo. Most of the time, René is the go-between in hiding the artwork for one or various of these people, which becomes even more fraught with danger when copies are made and passed off as the original, and no one can keep track of who has what. René must also deal with the Germans who have taken over his town and keep them happy in order to keep operating as normal, as well as staying under the radar of the Gestapo's influence in the township. And perhaps his greatest challenge is keeping his separate affairs with his two waitresses, Yvette and Maria, and eventually Mimi later in the series, secret from both his wife Edith and the waitresses themselves. All in all, it's a busy time at Café Renee. My name is Michel Dubois. Time is very short. Listen very carefully. I shall say this only once. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I shall say this only once. No, I, I didn't quite catch your name. <laughs> My name is Michel Dubois. You are René Artois. Yes, I know that. I was... Sit down. <laughs> One of the best elements used in Allo Allo is the way the writers get around the language barriers. They do this by having the characters all speaking English as a part of the show, but in an accent that suggests that the characters are actually speaking that language, not just an accented version of English. Thus, whenever the British airmen are talking, none of the French in the room with them can understand what they are saying, and Michelle, the head of the resistance, must translate for them by switching between her accents. 
It is a terrific way to get around what would otherwise be an insurmountable language barrier to keep a believability in the show. Michelle, these two idiots are here two days too soon. What am I going to do with them? You must hide them. I can't hide them. I have had no time to organize things. I have not yet prepared the cellar. Then you must add them where no one will look. In the cafe, under the noses of the Germans. What? Go and find us a table where we will be alone. I have a little English. I will explain. <laughs> okay, chaps, follow the boss. Oh, thank God, she speaks English. <laughs> the one place where the language barrier is not explained, and to be honest, never ever questioned, is between the German and the French. Their accents never change when they interact between each other, which, if you studied this harder than is necessary, could be seen that the Germans speak in German all the time, and the French speak in French the whole time, and understand the other language being spoken to them, but still reply in their native tongue. This, of course, would seem preposterous, but if you are being true to the way the series is being written and played out, would be the only solution. Of course, Now that I've brought this up, it is the only thing you can think of, isn't it? I've bamboozled you, and now you are going to spend the rest of your day trying to work out whether what I have said is true or not. Take it from me, just accept that the Germans and French, for whatever reason, can understand each other, because it will do your head in if you allow it. Believe me, I've tried. (laughs) Dinner time! It's that resistance girl, Michelle. Hello, chaps. Sorry about the cramped quarters. I'm afraid you've got to lie low a bit longer. It's not exactly luxurious, you know. Fairfax nearly fell off his perch last night. I'm trying to get through to London to get them to send a plane for you. Oh, good show! What brings home the language barrier even better is the character of Officer Crabtree who is a British agent undercover as a French policeman in the town. Crabtree's problem is that he isn't very good at speaking French, or what passes for French in his show, and so he is constantly making mistakes in his pronunciation of French words. An example is the line, I was passing by the door and I thought I would drop in, in which Bostrom pronounces it as, I was pissing by the door and I thought I would drop in. The best example of Crabtree's greeting of good morning, which he pronounced good moaning, a line that has gone down in folklore amongst those that watch the show. Good mooning. <laughs> Outside your coffee was this bunch of diffidels and doozes. Pinned to them is a knit. <laughs> Pardon me if I love you, but I have my dirty to do. Good morning. Uh, Good evening, officer. Uh, How comforting to know that you are doing your duty. Do not waste your torch. It is a dick night. Very likely, yes. I thought I saw two men leaking by your dustbin. Well, that is France for you. Good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning. Outside the front of your coffee under the limp post are a couple of tits. Good morning. Good morning. So amongst the threat of being caught with any of his mistresses, you stupid woman, another of the great lines from the show, one of the main plot lines that goes throughout all nine seasons is the theft of the valuable painting from the town's chateau, The Fallen Madonna, by fictional artist Von Klomp, or Van Klomp, sorry, and it is usually referred to as The Fallen Madonna with the Big Boobies. And this, of course, was stolen by Colonel Von Strom, and the subsequent effort by him to conceal it from his General von Klinkerhofen and Herr Flick. René is notably forced into handling the stolen painting out of threat of execution, but also eventually to being indebted to von Strom for allowing him to fake his death when he is sentenced to execution for unjustified accusations of aiding the resistance in an act of sabotage. The painting itself is subjected to being lost during the course of its concealment before having several forged copies being found and, of course, once again, then lost and sought out not only by Von Strom but also Herr Flick who, rather than returning to Berlin, like everybody else, intends to keep it for himself. At one stage, it even has a piece of it removed, one of the big boobies, and in the final episode, set some years after the end of the war, the fallen Madonna is finally discovered, and along with the return of the booby, is at that point when Renee finally runs off with Yvette, having spent nine seasons promising to do so, if he was ever to become rich. The second storyline concerns the involvement of the two stranded British airmen, shot down while over Nuvion. Because of their predicament, several plots in a number of episodes focus on the efforts of Michelle to devise plans that can help send them back to England, with Rene not only forced to help hide them within his cafe or keep them under disguises, but also help in her schemes, sometimes devised by London, who relay these plans via radio, installed within the bedroom of Edith's mother. Often, the schemes devised are so complicated that they invariably backfire, especially when they collide with other schemes conducted by von Strom and his assistants, leaving all of them often worse off than they were before. This show was a favourite in my household when I was growing up, and the quotes from the show used to flow back and forth as any particular situation arose. Some of them we've already used, some I haven't, but such things as good morning, um, or you stupid woman, or listen very carefully, I shall say this only once, or just the British airman going, hello, or um, Hans always, whenever they used to say, 
Heil Hitler, it always came in at the end and it was basically Heil Hitler, Klopp! Or, of course, the famous It is I, Leclerc. At one point during the series, because they believed it was going to be picked up in America, they increased the number of episodes per series from six or eight out to 26 for series five. And during that time, it, it felt stretched as though they were inventing scenarios just to fill the extra episodes they were expected to produce. And of course, it didn't get picked up, mainly because Americans just don't seem to be able to understand British humour. And it finally, the last couple of series reverted back to the shortened amount, which worked much better. This has been just a taste of what Alawalo is all about. And it's as I said, it's, it's difficult to be able to convey how clever the show is and how funny the show is in a podcast episode. Um, there are so many characters involved that haven't even brought up here, like Helga, who flits back and forth from uh, von Klinkerhofen to Herr Flick and uh, Hans Gruber, uh, who's just terrific. <laughs> Guy Siner plays him beautifully. Lots and lots of different characters, lots of uh stories and episodes intertwining and i it's one of those shows that you really need to watch to find out how funny it actually is and the difficult part about that is that it's not really easily available um, there are some episodes on youtube at the moment it's not really on any streaming service currently and uh, but you can buy them from certain stores i know you can buy the whole series from jb hi-fi for not much more than 40 or 50 bucks. But I think looking back on it, maybe that's got you excited about going out and trying to find the show again and, and checking it out. Uh, it really was one of those shows for the time. It was just fantastic. And it was, it was much watched, or sorry, must watch viewing. Unless you're my wife who just didn't seem to be able to find how funny it was. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this look back on Allo Allo. Uh, another TV show I've got to look at. Uh, I might even get around to doing another show for you to pass our days in COVID lockdown and maybe we'll never ever get out and we'll have to all look for TV shows for the rest of our life to try and get through. Anyway, this short interlude is over. I hope you'll come back for another short interlude some other time. Until then, cheerio. <laughs>